You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Well, it is brilliant to be with you, whether you are joining us at one of our sites, one of our locations, or whether you're joining us online today. It's fantastic to be with you to share God's word together. Um, We're dipping in and out of a series at the moment called Do Different, which is a little play on words, slightly on what the uh, Apple uh, thing used to be, Think Different. This is Do Different. And uh, really what it is, is about allowing the scriptures to give us a fresh vision for our lives, to to kind of, in one sense, reject the vision that the world might want to impose on us and just say, no, no, I'm going to find my vision for my life within the context of this book. And and we're kind of really recognizing that, in one sense, um, uh, what's considered normal, what's considered appropriate or inappropriate or offensive or whatever, it's changing all the time in our culture. And, and it can be really complex and confusing to figure out, well, how am I supposed to, to fit in with all this stuff? And in one sense, what we're saying is, no, 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 the scriptures, these ancient scriptures provide us with an anchor for our lives. And within the pages of this book, there's a path being laid out for us. Uh, and when we walk down that path, we find abundant life. Uh, and uh, so we've looked at a whole bunch of different things. Today, what we're going to look at is uh, how would we think, behave, act, react differently when it comes to our relationships? And uh, just so you know, I'm using relationships in the broadest possible sense. So they could be work relationships, friendship relationships, uh, family relationships, or indeed romantic relationships. Uh, that's where we're going today. And we're going to be reading in a moment from Genesis chapter 45. So if you want to try and kind of flick through your um, device or, or even through the pages of a book to find Genesis 45, now would be the moment to do that. To illustrate this theme of relationships, I want to show you something. It's this. This is the first ever mobile phone that I ever had. So I was working as a young man in uh, a software company just beside London Bridge. And uh, one day they gave me a mobile phone. And to be honest, it was a bit like being given the keys to an interplanetary spacecraft. You know, like I didn't know anyone else who had a mobile phone. And here I was with this thing. uh, And um, I didn't really know what to do with it. In fact, I didn't use it really hardly at all because, uh, you know, you couldn't check your email on it. You couldn't use Twitter or Facebook. I'm not even sure those things existed. I'm pretty sure that they didn't. Um, You couldn't even actually send text messages or WhatsApp messages. The only thing that you could do with this thing was make phone calls. And I hated speaking to people on the phone. I'm pretty introverted. Speaking to people on the phone even now isn't my favorite thing. And so the only thing that you could use this for was unwelcome phone calls. Anyway, I've got this thing for maybe a couple of years and then one day I arrive in my office at work and I sit down at my desk and there's a little box there and I said what's that what's that and somebody said oh that's your new mobile phone that's that's your upgrade and I was like why do I need an upgrade I hardly used the one that I've got but they said no no, no you, you. I said what do, what do I do with this one then 
They said, oh, you just throw it away. I said, throw it away? They said, yeah, yeah, throw it away. I thought, no, I'm not going to throw it away. I'm going to keep it. It might come in handy one time. And lo and behold, like 20 something years later, it, it has. But my point is that, that there are so many things in life these days that are considered to be disposable, like, you, you know, like temporary. Like it's, in fact, it's, there's a sense in which nothing is really expected to last for very long. And certainly that is true of relationships. Like, am I offended? Have you hurt me? What should I do? Well, let's just get rid of that relationship, start again. You know, the people in our lives are increasingly considered to be temporary. Like, uh, what am I gonna do? I'm just gonna cut you off. I'm just gonna cut you out of my life. I'm gonna start again, because that's what, that's what people in our life do. And yet, and yet, actually, my sense is that the scriptures would want to deeply challenge that. To deeply challenge the concept of people in our lives being temporary and for, um, uh, uh, for, for just the reality of relationships lasting for a long time. And so we're going to be looking together at Genesis chapter 45. Um, this is the story of Joseph. It's actually right at the end of the story of Joseph. And, and if you haven't watched Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat for a while, let me just summarize that the, the journey of Joseph's life. So Joseph is born into what we would call today a blended family. Like he's got loads of siblings. He's got several parent figures in his life. And uh, it's not an easy childhood. In, in fact, uh, you know, there's kind of all kinds of arguments and disagreements and competition happening, especially between him and his brothers. And it, it turns out that he's like the favorite brother, uh, the favorite son of his dad. And that makes things really, really difficult for him. And eventually, after a really turbulent childhood, um, his brothers uh, come into contact with some people traffickers and they essentially arrange for Joseph to be taken off by the people traffickers. And, and then they say, oh, he's, he's died. He hasn't died, he's just been taken away. And his life just continues with this series of turbulent events. He finds himself in prison for a period of time uh, and uh, eventually, um, amazingly, uh, God intervenes. And, and what happens is that, that he seems to have this unique gift for interpreting people's dreams. And so uh, eventually he ends up interpreting the dreams of the king of Egypt. And as a result, he gets kind of promoted and promoted until he finds himself as the prime minister of Egypt. And he's responsible for all the resources of the whole of the, the nation of Egypt. And in come his brothers. His brothers are living, his whole family is living in famine and they're desperate for food. They come knocking on the door of the prime minister of Egypt, not knowing that they're going to find their brother there. And they're just they're like desperate for food. And so this is the moment when he reveals that he is, in fact, the brother that they thought they would never see again. So Genesis chapter 45, I'm going to read from verse one. It says this, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified 
at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then for the sake of time, we're just gonna skip forward to verse 12. He continues to say to his brothers, you can see for yourselves and, uh, and so can my brother Benjamin that it's really I who'm speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you've seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his, brother, his brothers talked with him. And that's God's word to us today. Several years ago, my wife Taryn, she ran out of perfume uh, uh, that's quite a big deal in our house. You know, she, she, she tried with the bottle, like trying to tilt it to one side and spray, and then she tried taking the lid off, but there was literally nothing left. I mean, thank goodness for Boots body spray. Otherwise, you know, well, anyway, so um, just a little joke. Uh, so uh, she's like, what am I gonna do? Well, amazingly, my very elderly grandmother phoned up like a couple of days later, and she said, it's nearly Christmas. What would you like me to get you for Christmas? So Taryn's like, I would like a bottle of Clinique Happy. I seem to remember that was the particular thing, Clinique Happy. And so grandma says, of course. And so uh, maybe a few days later, my mum phones. She said, I've taken your grandmother out and she's bought Clinique Happy. You can tell Taryn Clinique Happy is on the way. Christmas comes, we all gather as, a, as the clan, the tribe, the Freeland tribe. We gather together for Christmas, we have lunch together, and then the, the presents are handed out and Taryn, opens this little box, which she's pretty sure is Clinique Happy coming from grandma. She opens it up and it's like this pocket sewing kit. She's like, oh, thank you, grandma. You shouldn't have, that's so kind of you. Grandma's like, oh, that's fine. Anyway, so all the presents can continue to get open until there's one present left. And then Taryn says, uh, my, so my grandma says to Taryn, hey, would you just take that present and give that to like Auntie Barbara, who's this, I mean, that names have been changed to preserve the innocence, innocent, but um, she was a distant relative we'd never seen before and never have seen since. And so Taryn takes this present, she shakes it, she knows immediately what it is. Grandma's got confused, she's mislabeled the presents. This is Clinique Happy, and she's having to hand this over. This, and she's like, she, she's like, she can hardly bring herself to do it. She's kind of like shaking, she's handing this Clinique Happy over to Auntie Barbara, who we'd never seen before and will never see since. And my point is this, there is a gift that God is calling us to give one another all the time, relentlessly, consistently, abundantly, that we find very, very difficult to give. And it's this, it's the gift of forgiveness. Central to the Bible's perspective on relationships and central to God's intention for our lives individually is that we would become forgiving people. 
that we would refuse to just cut and run and cut and run and cut and run, but we would be people who are relentlessly and consistently, persistently giving away the gift of forgiveness. Um, for example, if we were to review the teachings of Jesus, uh, you know, and, and just, just restrict ourselves to Jesus' specific teachings, it turns out that forgiveness is one of his favorite subjects. Just think about the parables. There are loads of parables about forgiveness. The, the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. You know, uh, there, there's a guy who's been forgiven this enormous debt, but he just can't bring himself to forgive other people. Or think about the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. You know, there is someone who deserves to be cut off and cut out and never spoken to again. And yet the father runs towards him in this incredible act, this demonstration of forgiveness. Or um, maybe just put aside the parables and just think about the questions that Jesus is asked and his responses to them. So, you know, uh, his disciples say to him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, here's how, you, here's how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he goes on, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or think about, you know, uh, uh, he's asked, like, how many times should I forgive people? Like, is, is seven times enough? And he says, no, 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 70 times seven is not enough. Or even if we were to put aside the parables and put aside the answers to the questions and we were to just restrict ourselves to Jesus' specific and direct teaching where he's just telling people uh, what, what God's perspective would be. You know, there are loads and loads of times in, in, in the Gospels where Jesus' teaching is, um, is on the subject of forgiveness or, or he's, he's speaking something that we love we don't realize that what he's really speaking about is forgiveness. You know, I spoke recently about fridge magnets. You know, back in the day when I was a young Christian, there were loads of fridge magnets that you could get with Bible verses on them. And loads of the fridge magnet verses are really about forgiveness. So, for example, Mark eleven twenty four. Here's a great fridge magnet verse. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now, that's a great verse, isn't it? I mean, you know, read that three times a day. It'll do you good. Believe what you, what does it say? Believe that you've received it and it will be yours. But how many of us realize that that's only the first half of the sentence? And that he carries on. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you. Do you see, it's like always, so often the, the things that we love are actually associated with forgiveness. Another one, Luke 17, verse 6. Here's another one. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Interestingly, though, immediately before that verse, he says this, even if your brother or sister sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Another one, Luke 6, verse 38. Here's one that's often, uh, often we hear, hear this verse in the context of people speaking about generosity and often speaking about giving money to the local church. I wish it was about that. Give and it will be given to you. 
a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Lovely verse, brilliantly uh, uplifting. However, the, the words immediately before it are these. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It turns out that the, 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 the whole concept, you know, give and it will be given to you. What he's actually talking about is give forgiveness and it will be given to you, pressed down, running over, abundant. And so it's impossible to avoid the reality that, that one of the key things that Jesus wants to do in my life, yes, he wants me to become more prayerful. Yes, he wants me to share my faith with others. Yes, he wants me to be filled with the Spirit and he wants me to be overflowing uh, with, with the Spirit to the world around me and, and he wants me to be living and walking in the power that he's made available. But one of the critical things that he wants for my life, he wants me to become more forgiving. The second thing that we can say without question from the teachings of Jesus is a lack of forgiveness on my part towards other people damages my relationship with God. Um, Jesus uses very, very deliberate language when he's speaking about forgiveness. And in particular, it's the little words you want to watch, words like if and so and and. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, Jesus says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Do you see that if is like really dangerous? Or Mark eleven twenty five: if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your father in heaven may forgive you. Or Luke 6, 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, we need to be really careful here because Jesus is saying something really shocking. And, uh, you, you know, we have to, to interpret these verses of scripture within the context of the wider teaching of scripture. And we need to be really careful. You know, Jesus did not say to the thief who was crucified next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise as long as you just make a list of all the people you're holding unforgiveness towards and the things that you're resenting and make sure that you forgive them first and then you'll be forgiven and enter into paradise. Um, and we need to be really clear that the forgiveness that comes to us is um, by faith alone, in Christ alone, um, uh, by grace alone. And so what Jesus is not saying is, is you know, your, your salvation is, is dependent upon your activity. But what he is saying is absolutely crystal clear, is that, is that if I in any sense am pushing away my brother, in some sense too, I'm pushing away God. If I'm holding my sister at arm's length, then in some sense, I'm also holding God at arm's length. And so um, uh, it's really easy to look at this stuff in the abstract, isn't it? And to say, okay, I should become a more forgiving person. That's, that's really helpful. I'll try and do my best to do that. But, but uh, uh, as anyone who's been deeply wounded by the actions or the words or the activity of somebody else will know. 
actually genuinely stepping into a place of forgiveness is like a whole other kettle of ball games or something like that. And so, uh, which lands us where we started with the story of Joseph. Joseph, in this moment with his brothers, is demonstrating incredible forgiveness. And so we're just going to step into his story and we're going to notice three things. We're going to notice who he forgives, we're going to notice when he forgives, and we're going to notice how he forgives. And those are going to be really helpful for us. So the first thing, who he forgives. Joseph forgave his brothers who are the source of the greatest pain in his life. Like, like these are not people who have just uh, borrowed a book and not given it back or, you know, these are not people who have trodden on my foot. These, these are people who have, have caused him life-shaping pain. The whole course of his life has been altered and, you know, an intense season of suffering has happened as a result of their actions. Those are the people who, in this moment, he's choosing to forgive. And let's be honest, we would have all understood it if he'd have said, listen, I can see that you're hungry. Here, have some grain. Go and have a good life. But just so you know, I'll never forgive you for what you've done. And we hear people say that all the time, don't you? you? Hear people say that in the news, standing on the steps of a court or something like that. You know, I'll never forgive that person for what they did. And, and that's really normal in our society, almost to the degree where we think it might be backed up in scripture. You know, that, there, that there's a kind of a line there, like I'll forgive these people for doing these minor things to me, but if, beyond this line, it's like you don't have to forgive those people because that's like a really bad thing. But actually, Joseph demonstrates in this moment that forgiveness is a choice that we can make in all situations with all people who have wronged us, regardless of how seriously they have, they have wronged us. You know, what a good thing that Jesus didn't take the line, well, you know, anyone who causes me real pain, I'm not going to forgive. In fact, the scripture says, having been led to the place of the skull, called the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Joseph forgave his brothers, even though they were the source of his greatest pain. Now, let me just say this for a moment, because some of you are one step ahead of me, and you're saying, well, hang on, this is like dangerous teaching, because, you know, like, if someone's caused me pain, like, it would be inappropriate to kind of still remain in that place and I'd want to agree with you you know we need to be really wise about this stuff and we need to, we need to get the counsel of other people in our lives you know as my friend Jim McNeish says and I think this is incredibly helpful he says it's okay to forgive and remember you don't have to forgive and forget in other words if you put your arm into a through the bars of a lion's cage and he bites your arm off it's not wise to then put your other arm back into the same cage. And so we have to think carefully about the places we put ourselves in and the situations we re-enter as a result of that forgiveness. But the, the choice, the decision of forgiveness is a choice that Jesus would always urge us to make. So who he forgives. Secondly, when he forgives. You know, I've searched through the chapters up until this point, and I just can't find it. I can't find the moment when his brothers apologized to him. 
Like, you know, often we, we, we would expect people who, have, uh, who are choosing to forgive, they're choosing to forgive because the other person has come and said, listen, I'm, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that, I've caused you pain, I feel terrible. But so often they don't. You, you know, as a pastor, I've, uh, over the years, I've seen loads and loads of relationships break down, all kinds of relationships. And so often the person who's like really done some damage is oblivious to it. Like they've got no idea that, like if you were to, to, to kind of put them into a concrete bunker, shine really bright lights in their eyes, strap them to a lie detector and say, you know, have you done this person wrong? They would say no. And the, the lie detector needle wouldn't even flicker. It would be like, no, they genuinely believe that they've done nothing wrong. And so often, we, like, if we're waiting for someone to apologize, we could be waiting for the rest of our lives. Joseph forgives his brothers even though they don't apologize. It's important. The other thing to, important to notice is that it's now been something like 20 years since Joseph was packed off with those people traffickers. And that's a long time. Like, you might expect that when a certain amount, you, you often hear people say, don't you, well, there's been a lot said since then. Or a lot of water has gone under the bridge. It's too late now to forgive. Joseph would say, it's never too late. Even 20 years down the line, it's not too late. You know, um, many people will be inspired by the example of Nelson Mandela. You know, this incredible, uh, became a real statesman around the world in so many ways, a kind of authority on forgiveness because he'd experienced, you know, 27 years or something like that of hard labor, um, you know, spending most days having to just crush rocks all day, every day. And as he's released from prison, in his memoir, he wrote this, as I walked out of the door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Joseph forgave, forgave his brothers after 20 years, and that tells us it's never too late. That's when he forgives. And lastly, how he forgives. How did Joseph forgive? The answer is, the short answer is, he forgave completely, like totally. He doesn't keep hold of any of it. He lets it all go. Our middle son, when he was a, a little toddler, he loved building things and making things. And so we had this little basket that we kept in the a cupboard where our washing machine was that was full of like plastic things, plastic ice cream tubs and... and um, uh, the, the tubs that butter comes in and, and toilet rolls and different things. And he just used to love just taking some tape and some glue and making things out of it. The problem was that in that cupboard, those plastic things kind of like reproduced. And so, you know, it came to the point where every time you opened the cupboard to get to the washing machine, you were just showered in plastic junk. It was a total nightmare. So eventually, one time when he's at nursery, me and Taryn, we get a bag and we fill it full of loads of stuff. We just curate just a, a little selection of, you know, his favorite bits of plastic junk. Like you can keep those bits and then we're just gonna recycle the rest. Well, anyway, you know, like I said, those plastic things, they, they, 
they reproduce in the cupboard. And, and, and so before long, it's raining down on you again. It's just an absolute nightmare. And so in the end, we just took a bag and we just took the whole lot. We just recycled, recycled it all. And my point is, you know, so often we forgive partially, but we just like to hold on to just a little bit. It just doesn't work. Joseph doesn't do a half measure. He does full forgiveness. He forgave completely. How do you know, very briefly, how do you know that you've forgiven completely? Well, firstly, you know that you've forgiven completely when no one else needs to know. Notice what Joseph does there in verse one. It says, he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Often we do the opposite of that. Like we may be having a coffee with someone and we say, I just think you ought to know what Barry actually did. Or, you know, we're on Facebook and we're saying, hey, I just want to make you aware of Larry and some of the things that he occasionally might, might do. You know when you've forgiven completely when you don't need to do that kind of thing. Nobody needs to know. Um, there is one exception, of course, which is when someone's committed a crime then probably the police need to know. You've forgiven completely when no one needs to know. Secondly, you've forgiven completely when your heart is soft. Verse two, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And his tears signify that there's no hardness in his heart. He's taken his armor off and he's just able to be fully present and completely soft-hearted towards his brothers. Sometimes it's not always easy to tell. Am I, like, is there, is there some kind of hardness in my heart? If you're not sure, ask someone who knows you well and loves you, maybe a best friend or a spouse or whatever, that they can easily spot it. Uh, thirdly, you know when you've forgiven someone completely when there can be proximity without pain. Joseph demonstrates that his forgiveness is complete when he says to his brothers in verse four, come close to me, come close to me. To be honest, as I've reflected on this concept of forgiveness in relationships, I've, uh, this is where the rubber has really hit the road for me because I was uh, remembering a, a, a situation when I, when I was a young man uh, there was a guy in my life, kind of mentor figure, spiritual father, and, and I don't think he meant to, but just in the process of things, I felt really crushed. And for, for a while there, I really lost hope, and, and uh, you know, it was, it, was a real, uh, it was a really painful season in my life. And, and I kind of got on with my life and, and you know, kind of carried on, uh, believing that I'd forgiven him, and then a whole bunch of years later, I was at a conference and then suddenly we were in the coffee queue and we were right next to each other and I was shaking like a leaf and I could feel this anger boiling within me and it was as if everything that had happened before had happened like yesterday and all of the emotion of it was just immediately there and it was really shocking to me. And I was processing with Taryn afterwards and I was saying, what do you think that's about? Like, I really thought I'd forgiven him. And she said, no, Chuck, there's a world of a difference between forgiving someone and just avoiding them for a long time. 
It's really true. You know, uh, you know when you've forgiven someone completely, when you can be right up close and nearby to them and you can still willingly choose to bless them. Joseph, Joseph's forgiveness is complete forgiveness. He opens his cupboard, he clears out all of the junk, all of the resentment, all of the bitterness, all of the unforgiveness. And what's the result? I think it's relief. I think it's relief. You see it there in verse 14. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. I think that's an expression of just intense relief. You know, you might imagine that uh, uh, if we just live our lives just cutting and running and cutting and running and cutting and running and, and just, you know, like, uh, I'll never forgive you, so I'm just going to walk away from you. I'm going to walk away from you. I'm going to walk away from you. You might imagine that that is a life that would lead to freedom and peace and joy, but actually the exact reverse is true. People who live that way live with constant anxiety and insecurity and disappointment and regret. Actually, people who choose to live with consistent, relentless forgiveness as a major feature of their lives, they're the ones who experience freedom and they're the ones who live with hope and peace and gratitude. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we can see that this whole concept of forgiveness is extremely challenging. And we just, for a moment, we allow the Spirit of God to challenge us. To bring to mind people and situations that are as yet unresolved. And with no agenda, we just bring them to you right now. Lord Jesus, we need wisdom about those situations. And also we need real courage and strength to be able to make the decision to forgive. To give the gift that we would rather not give, the gift of forgiveness. Please, God, would you help us? And Lord, we, we choose as a community, as a, as a, as a church family, we want to be a community of grace. We want to be a community where we let each other off the hook. We want to be a community of rich and deep and long-lasting relationships. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would make that so. Amen. Amen.